0: Perfect. Let's pray together as we stand. Father, we come to you now. Uh, we come before your word that points us to Jesus, the lion and the lamb, who's broken the, free those chains of sin, who through him we are able to now sing, we are free. Father, help us to see what it means to live in that freedom that we have in Christ, to know what it means to walk by his spirit, by your spirit. For Jesus' sake, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, please do take a seat. And good afternoon to you. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors here at the Globe Church. If you haven't met before, it's great to be with you this afternoon as we open up God's Word. And as Stephen mentioned, as he opened our service that reading, we're still in the book of Galatians, which we're working through this term. So if you've got a Bible to hand, whether it's electronic or a physical Bible, if you need a physical Bible, there are some at the back there, so please do grab those. And we're in Galatians chapter 5, starting at verse 13. Galatians chapter 5, starting at verse 13. Let me read. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Right. As I read through that, I understand there's a lot in this passage today. It's a really dense passage. And so I'm going to say up front, I, I cannot get through everything this afternoon. Unless you've got a couple of hours to spare, we're not going to be able to get through everything. Um, So what I'm going to do is this. I I want to draw out what I think is the main thrust of Paul's argument in these verses. What is he really getting at here? Because once we understand that, and I think it will help us to understand the rest of the passage and what it means to live as people of faith. And last week we saw how Paul started this whole section. Galatians 5.1, he expanded this idea of freedom. If you look at verse 1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. We thought a lot about what freedom meant last week. It's really worth listening to the sermon last week if you missed it. And Paul's continuing that theme today. Here's the question this passage answers this afternoon. Given our freedom that we have in Christ, how are we meant to live? Last week we saw Paul really pushing this new reality for us. That by faith in Christ we are now free. So he's like, don't think about circumcision and the law. Don't go back that way. That's one of the big things he's been arguing for the last four chapters in Galatians. Instead, remember you are free. The question then is that we start asking, oh, okay, so if we're free, if we're justified not by the works of the law, by our own effort, but does that mean that if I have faith in Jesus and I'm justified in him, I'm now right with God, does that mean that I can just live freely, free license to whatever I want? Aha, Paul says. I know what you're thinking. That's why I'm going to write this passage for you. Can you remember the days of COVID? It feels like a long time ago, right? It's only a couple of years ago. But you remember the days of COVID? Do you remember when we were under a law then, legally bound to, what was it, hands, face, space, socially distance. Do you still remember that? Blank expressions. Okay, I, you probably want to blot it out of your memory. But, but look, just think. Think back to that day that you were free, when all the rules were lifted you've got a decision to make. How now are you going to live? Are you going to keep socially distancing, carrying around hand gel and putting on a face mask? Or are you going to just greet and hug people willy-nilly and not bother washing your hands? There are two ways you can live now in your freedom. And it's a little bit like what's going on here. Here's the big overarching idea of this passage. Look at verse 16. This is what Paul says. So I say, walk by the Spirit... And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Here's what Paul's thinking. Look, now you've got this newfound freedom. There are two ways to live. You can either live by gratifying the desires of your flesh, or you can live by walking by the Spirit. So key to understanding this passage is, what does Paul mean by those things? So let's start with the first. What does he mean by gratifying the desires of the flesh? That word flesh, he uses it a lot in his letters. It's quite broad. I want to start with being clear about what it doesn't mean because I think this is around us in the culture at the moment. Flesh here doesn't just mean the physical body. It's like when you eat a chocolate bar, here we go, here's one I made earlier. <laughs> There's this stuff inside that's edible, right? But the stuff on the outside you can't eat, you need to open it and get rid of it, I should have practiced at home, you get the point, you get rid of it and you want to bin that stuff and get to the good stuff in the middle. That's what really matters. See, that's how sometimes people think. That the flesh, the the bodies is the problem. All we need is pure spirituality and mindfulness. But that's not what Paul is saying. He's not saying you need to find your inner peace away from the corruption of your body. It's not like some Eastern mysticism, which is starting to actually come into this new age spirituality movement that we see around us. And sometimes in the the new kind of AI stuff, the metaverse stuff, if you don't know what I mean, the, the... The push the culture is doing is this. You need to be freed from your body. It's a form of escapism. That's how you're really set free. That is not what Paul is saying. In fact, the Bible makes it really clear that the body does matter. God himself came in the flesh in human bodily form. And he comes to redeem us all, not just our spirits, but our bodies too. The Bible makes it clear. In the new creation, we will feast, we will walk the streets in our bodies in eternity with God. The bodies do matter to Paul. So what does Paul mean? If you look at this passage, you probably heard it as I was reading it. There's a clear, clear way he's using flesh in opposition to the spirit. They're always in contrast to each other, always standing opposite to one another. If you look to the rest of Galatians, Paul uses this word to show the flesh in chapter 2 as being something unjustified, as being unjustified human beings. Chapter 3, representing human independence away from God. Chapter 4, those counter to God's promise. See, when Paul speaks of the flesh in this book, he is talking about our humanness that stands opposed to God. And if in the first four chapters of Galatians, Paul's been speaking of the flesh more specifically in regards to the law, in trying to justify ourselves and find our worth outside of God through things like circumcision... Here, he's shifting it. The idea here is to find complete and utter independence, freedom away from God, to become our own gods. It's the freedom without constraints idea we heard about last week, where we pursue our own desires and we're asking, what pleases me? What serves me? What satisfies me? Not what pleases God. How do I serve God? It's innate in us as human beings. Here's an area you can really see it in our lives. Here's why it's innate, because you can see it in toddlers. I have one. I had this conversation with my, my three-year-old yesterday. What do you want for dinner? And I think she knows that we sometimes feed her healthy meals, often feed her healthy meals. Um, <laughs> usually something green, something, yeah. So, and so my daughter started to push the boat sometimes. She's like, can I get something sweet? I know where this is going. Well, yeah, what's that? Can I get some chocolate? And obviously, there is chocolate in the house, as you can see. And I said, no. And then she sits in silence for a few minutes. Her brain starts worrying. She says, Dad, is it Easter soon? I'm like, talk about pulling the heartstrings. I'm a pastor. I'm thinking, man, okay, yeah, do you want to talk about the the crucifixion, the resurrection? What do you want to talk about? I said, why do you want to talk about Easter? Because you get Easter eggs. You get chocolate. You've got to watch out for these little ones these days. They're getting smart. But here's the point. You see the effects of her heart's desire. And you particularly see it when you say no. When I say no, I'm not going to give you that. And she starts bawling her eyes out like I've destroyed a part of her soul. So I can't live without it. She's on the floor rolling around. And in the moment, you see the, the power of the God of Cadbury. You're like, oh, man. <laughs> and, it, and as you're in that moment, in that mood, you start looking. Like My wife and I are looking at each other thinking, man, should we just give her the chocolate? And you start to see how Cadbury starts to function like a savior. Give it to them and they'll be happy and free from this misery. Gratify the desires of the flesh. thing is, you and I know it's not good for her. If I keep feeding her chocolate all day long, social services will be at my front door. You'll probably report me. No, no, no I get it. I've em- <laughs> Thanks, Josh. <laughs> now you get it. I've, I've embellished this a little bit. I mean, it's, it, it is very broadly true. This was a conversation I had yesterday. But you see this dynamic that's at play, gratifying the fleshly desires. And see, as grown-ups, we're just better at holding back the tears and not having the public tantrums. But inside, I think we can act in this way, particularly when that freedom that is unconstrained is stopped from, from us. A freedom that says, let me do whatever I want and desire, that's the sort of freedom that the world seems to offer to us. That's something that is innate. That is what we desire. And the thing is, that is not a new idea. The Bible actually speaks of this right at the start. goes back to Adam and Eve, the very first humans. They were created in a world that was utterly free. They had freedom to roam, to relax, to enjoy all of God's good gifts. They, they were there walking with God himself, keeping in step with God himself. With just one constraint, don't eat from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That is not good for you. You will die. But Adam and Eve, what did they do? They chose to indulge the flesh. That desire to be opposed to God, to be their own gods, to be free, to do what I want. So they opposed God and his word. That is the pattern of the freedom of this world. That is the pattern of the flesh that Paul speaks of here, to stand in opposition to God, to be counter to the spirit. And you see, the irony for Adam and Eve is this. As they sought that freedom, they actually became enslaved. They lost the true freedom that they had, the life they had with God, and they found themselves in a new life, in a new world that was enslaved to sin, to burden, to pain. We explored this idea last week, how when you actually choose unconstrained freedom, we've got to realize that you're not just going and thinking, I'm being freed from something, but for something. And if you get that for wrong, you're just going to jump around being enslaved from one thing to the next. And so Paul's saying, look, don't do it. Don't abuse your freedom to indulge the flesh. So what then? How are we to live? Paul makes it clear here. Instead, he says, in your freedom in Christ, walk by the Spirit. That is where true freedom is. That is what Adam and Eve had. And they turned away from it. And Paul is saying, look, don't make that same mistake. Christ died for you to redeem you back into that freedom in God's presence as his children, no longer slaves but heirs. That is freedom right there. So if the flesh was all about pursuing our own desires to be our own gods, walking by the Spirit is about pursuing the desires of God to live for him, to live in accordance with his will, his desires, his purpose. Paul is saying, walk by that same Spirit promised to us by Christ. That is where your true freedom is. And in this passage, what he's doing is taking that idea and then he, he, he sort of applies it to our life. What does that look like? What does it mean to walk by the Spirit? So look, I'm just going to run through three things that come out from this passage that show us what it means to walk by the Spirit. Here's the first Walking in the Spirit leads to serving others in love, verses 13 to 15. Now, I was really surprised by this initially. Perhaps because I'm, I'm really influenced by the Western individualism we live in. Because we can often think, "Ah, oh, our freedom in Christ, justification in Christ, in Jesus, means that I need to now figure out how do I live, what do I do in my freedom? But throughout this letter, Paul's been referring to you, plural. And he starts here, you, my brothers and sisters, do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. See, in the freedom we have in Christ, we're told to go and serve others in love. How how often have you thought that? Now I'm free, let me see who I can go and serve. That is not naturally what I do. And this passage has been a corrector for me. Here's what I do. After a busy day at work where I finally have my free time, what do I default to? How do I serve myself? How do I satisfy my desires? I turn on Netflix and crash. Ignore my family. My daughter asking for chocolate. I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to listen to you. That is what I'm like in the flesh. I turn inward on myself. And that is one of the effects of fleshly living. You want to be your own God, and you turn in on yourself. What pleases me? What serves me? What satisfies me? But here's the radical living in the Spirit. In my freedom, how can I serve others? What pleases them? The Spirit turns our fleshly, inward-facing desire outwards. He draws us to a love that asks, what do you need, not what do I need? But you know what, it's actually even stronger than that. Paul says, serve one another. That word actually literally means enslave yourselves to one another. The Galatians have been freed from the bondage of the law. That's what he's been arguing all the way through. But then he says, now be in bondage to other people. How is that freeing? Because I think one of the most freeing places that we can encounter on this earth is in a fully loving community. Where people genuinely live to serve one another in this sort of way, out of love, not out of obligation. Where people don't judge you on your background, the color of your skin, your educational level, even what clothes you wear, but there is genuine sacrificial love. Now, Can you imagine friendships built around that sort of love? Friends that say to you, I'm going to enslave myself to serve you out of love. Can you imagine marriages and families built on this sort of love? Communities whose sole desire is to serve humbly in love. People who are constantly trying to find ways to outserve, outlove one another. Brothers and sisters who are constantly going out of their way to find ways to serve you. To provide the company, to provide the things that you need, the things that you sometimes don't even realize that you needed. Now, how is that even possible? By walking by the Spirit. See, that is the power of the Spirit of God. But here's the other surprise. If you carry on, look at verse 14. See, Paul starts to talk about the law. He spent four chapters telling the Galatians, look, don't be under the law because it enslaves you. And then he starts talking about the law here. It's like, what are you doing? And his point is this. The Galatians have been living under the flesh, trying to justify themselves through the law, through circumcision, and they failed. But now in Christ, they are free from being under the law. And he's saying, that: does that mean you can completely ignore the law now? No. As you walk in the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. But instead, as you walk in the Spirit, verse 14, you will actually end up fulfilling the entire law. The law which you've been trying so hard to fulfill in your own strength, that placed you under a curse because of your failings, the Spirit now empowers and enables us to fulfill the law in its entirety. The law which is good, which Jesus himself came to fulfill, the Spirit helps us to fulfill it in exactly the same way. The Spirit enables us to love as Christ loves. Which is why I think love is one of the first fruits of the Spirit, verse 22. 22. It's central to what it means to live in the Spirit. So when we try and fulfill the law in our own strength, in the flesh we're enslaved. But when we walk by the Spirit, we can fulfill the law in our freedom. And we can go beyond anything we could ever attempt and fail to do in our own strength. That is what happens when we walk by the Spirit. And this is in stark contrast to what indulging indulging the flesh does. Look at verse 15. If you still remember Stephen's moth-eaten suit. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. See, I've told you already, one of those um, effects of standing opposed to God is that your desires, they turn inwards on yourself. Indulging the flesh is self-serving. It asks, what do I need, not what do you need? Think about biting and devouring for a moment. I, I brought some fruit from, the, from a fruit bowl at home. Here's a pineapple. I could have brought something smaller, couldn't I? Um, here's a pineapple. 99 at Morrisons, by the way. Uh, really good. If you're biting and devouring, what are you doing? You're filling yourself and your stomach while the pineapple, what happens to it? It gets destroyed. That is the image. That's a really short illustration for this. Um, But here's the point. What does it look like in human relationships? Have you ever been used by someone? Or felt like they're using you? That is what it feels like, to be devoured in human relationships. Devouring others is about feeding yourself and your ego at the expense of others. It's when people say, who's useful to me for what i need and desire right now and then you dispose of them when you when they when you're done and that is so obviously destructive there is no trust there is no love there is no bond relationships like that are so difficult to restore unity is broken it is the complete opposite of spirit led humbly serving one another community that we just spoke about walk in the spirit and you will serve humbly in love Gratified desires of the flesh, you will bite, devour, and destroy one another. So here's a question for us. If you're sitting here this afternoon, perhaps you're not not a Christian, you're kind of looking into things. Here's what I want to ask you. Don't you want to experience communities like what we saw? Ones that are really about serving one another humbly in love? Aren't you tired of watching your back in case someone's going to bite or devour you? that's how you feel then you need to come to jesus and find freedom in him be filled by his spirit to be a part of this sort of life for others of us who would say that i'm a christian i'm a follower of jesus the challenge for us is this how are we loving those to our right and our left at the moment in this church how about neighbors outside of church I was reminded this week of how big loneliness is, is a huge issue in our society at the moment. In a city like London, how much do you notice the people who you, can serve, who you can serve humbly and love in your communities? How often do you go out of your way to serve those people? How much time do we give in our day, in our week, in our month to serve others in comparison to serving ourselves? See, with the freedom in Christ, let's live by the Spirit. Let's walk where the Spirit leads to love others and serve them humbly. Here's the second thing. Walking in the Spirit then helps us to fight fleshly desire. On the 8th of May, 1945, that's a crucial day in history. You might know it. It's when Nazi Germany surrendered to the Allies. And there was celebration, right? Victory was won. But the thing was, even though the war was won, battles still continued for a few days. Here's the point. Jesus has won. It's not he will set us free. Christ has set us free. Past tense. It is done. It is finished. But the battles continue in our lives. Look at verse 17. Paul makes it clear. They are in conflict with each other. There is a battle between the fleshly desires we have and the life in the spirit. He knows we live in that bit just after that victory has been declared. We sometimes call it the now and not yet in the Christian life. There will be a day when we will finally come into the presence of God and all those battles will be over permanently. But in the now, there is a battle. There is a constant pull for us to seek that unconstrained freedom. The world keeps offering it to us. Just come and indulge your fleshly desires here. And I think for every true believer who sits in this room, there is a battle that goes on in our hearts in some shape or form. In verses 19 to 21, Paul goes on to list what those acts of the flesh can look like. This is the stuff that comes out of gratifying our fleshly desires. I don't think it covers everything, but it covers lots of things. I don't think there's a particular order, but they are just outworkings of indulging the flesh. What can that look like? I I don't have time to go through all of them. But you can sort of see they come in four big groups. The NOV, if you've got a version that has semicolons, that's sort of like brackets, it helps us to see. The first is sort of sexual acts, impure, impure, uncontrolled, enslaved to sexuality. The second is religious acts, speaking of idolatrous worship of other gods. The third is relational acts, which you sort of talked about, devouring one another. The fourth set, drunkenness and orgies. That word for orgies is not something sexual, but it's to do with drinking parties uncontrolled acts some people sometimes call it substance abuse now I get this is hard for some of us to hear but fleshly desires there will be some that will be particularly pronounced for us in different ways for some of us that will be things like sexual sin the use of pornography that statistically affects both men and women sex outside of marriage which in Christian world can happen more than we might think for others, it would be relational sin, where we have envy or anger, biting and devouring others. For others, it will be that fight for self-control, an addiction that is so hard that you're battling with. Remember what we said at the start, when we indulge the flesh, we end up being enslaved. All of these things can enslave you. They will enslave you. And Paul is saying, look, Christ didn't give us freedom to live this way. We can't go and do whatever our hearts desire in our sinful state and think it's okay. To do these things, it's okay because Christ has forgiven me. We can't say that. We can't say, I'm going to live Monday to Friday in the flesh and then the rest of my time in the spirit. That is not how we're called to live. That is sometimes called cheap grace. Paul's making it clear, it's a conflict. You can't live in accord with both the flesh and the spirit. If you walk by the spirit... It will be contrary to the flesh. And verse 17, it, the Spirit stops us doing whatever we want. Here's, to sum up that section, this is what it, it, he's saying. If you think because of Jesus, it's, it's okay, it's cool to live in my sin and follow my desires, then you've misunderstood everything Galatians is speaking of. In fact, the whole Bible speaks of. In freedom in Christ, we walk with the Spirit, and as we do, we grow in seeking to fulfill God's desires. And that means we fight those fleshly desires that pull us. But here's another angle which I think is even more important than this How do you know that you're walking in the Spirit? How do we know that we're walking in the Spirit? Because you know that you're in a battle. In your heart, in your mind, in your conscience, every time that fleshly desire comes, there is a battle that happens. You know it. Every time that temptation comes to gratify the desires of the flesh, we fight. And it can be exhausting. It can consume our hearts and our minds. At times, we may even slip and fall to the flesh. And when that happens, we feel utterly crushed, rubbish, guilty, ashamed. Battles are not a joyful thing. It's never meant to be easy. And when you concede ground, you feel like you're, you're utterly broken. But the fact that you know there is a battle, the fact that you hate your sin and your fleshly desires means that the Spirit is living and working in you. And that should spur us on to keep walking by the Spirit so we, we don't keep falling to the flesh. When we are tempted, we have that power of prayer where we can ask that we would walk by the Spirit and not indulge the flesh. If we fall, we can cry out to God in repentance, turn back to Jesus who gave us that freedom and he looks and says to us, look, victory is won. And verse 18, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. If you're in the Spirit, you're not condemned. There is no more curse of condemnation because we're free from it in in Christ. Let me put it another way for you. If you're tempted by fleshly desires, and, and if, if you slip up and you fall to those desires during those battles, it doesn't mean that you're out and that Jesus is just going to turn you away. That is what the Judaism and Galatia were doing. When you fail to keep the law, you were out. But that is not what Jesus does. But he calls you back. And if you repent and turn back to him, he's there for you, saying, look, you're free in me, in Christ. Walk by the Spirit, and the Spirit will empower us to fight the flesh, to flee the desires of the flesh. It reminds us of the victory we already have in Jesus. But having said all that, there is a warning here. Look at the end of verse 21. Those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those who live, those whose life, whose way of life is to indulge the flesh, to do these works continually, where despite knowing that it is wrong and sinful, you make that choice to indulge. Essentially what you're doing is you're not battling anymore, you're just conceding. And sometimes it can be more subtle than that. It's a pattern of life where you think, ah, freedom in Jesus means I can continue to sort of slip up. Ah, he's forgiven me, it's okay. Those who live in that sort of fleshy way, you will not inherit the kingdom. Those echo the words of Jesus' judgment that he spoke of when he was here. When you, you may have shouted, Lord, Lord, but he will turn around and say, I don't I didn't know who you are. Where well, you will end up outside of his kingdom where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth and to- torment. That is what the Bible speaks of. And I need to tell you that because I don't want you to end up there. See, the way you live does matter. It reveals your heart. It reveals whether you are walking by the Spirit in faith in Christ or whether you are indulging the flesh. How do you live right now? Do you live indulging the flesh, gratifying your own desires? And you've got to hear that warning in verse 21. You will not inherit the kingdom of God. You will end up enslaved in torment forever. You will never find freedom living that way. Do not indulge the flesh. Don't live that way. But turn to Christ. Come and find freedom in Him. And walk by the Spirit and fight those desires. For others, it will be like this. You might feel like I'm constantly battling. And it's exhausting. And I've got to say, keep going. Keep looking to Jesus to know that He has freed us. And victory is won. Keep trusting Jesus, who says, by faith we are forgiven and free, no longer condemned. Keep walking by the Spirit, who walks with us in those battles and helps us to fight and to flee. And can I say, this is a challenge for us as a church together to help one another in these battles. Let's be there for one another, serving one another humbly in love, and help one another fight these battles. Here's an example of us trying to do this as a church. We have an event actually on June the 10th where we're going to talk about pornography. And we're going to engage with this particular battle of fleshly desire. So come along. It's open to everybody. But studying this passage this week made me realize that there are so many more areas of life, battles that people face, that we need to help one another with too. Not only through events, but as a loving spirit leads us. Let's serve each other. Let's listen to each other. Let's pray together. Help each other in those battles. The time's running away from me. So here's a third and final thing I'm going to have to look at it really briefly. But Walking by the Spirit bears Christ-like fruit. I want you to picture two fruit trees. All right, here we go. Got, here, let's use the pineapple again. Here's, imagine you have two pineapple trees. They grow on trees, right? myself. Okay, they're trees. In my head, they're going to be trees. On one side, you have one that is shrunk and shriveled. The leaves are dry. There's no fruit on it. On the other side, there is a beautiful pineapple tree. Plump, juicy pineapples. They smell really good. And you cut it open, and it tastes so good, it nourishes you. And you want other people to come and taste and see how good this fruit is. See, when you walk with the Spirit, your life will look wholly different to the life we've just seen in verses 19 to 21. Think about why why Paul used fruit. Fruit tastes good. Actually, this actually actually can stop the God of Cadbury with my daughter. That is how good fruit is, because it's tasty. It nourishes. You look at the list here in verses twenty two to twenty three, and you see exactly that. Picture a person adorned with these fruits of the spirit. They don't just seem to be nice to be around but as you spend time with them, they nourish you. They energize you. Can you picture a person who's always there for you, has your interests at heart? They always want the best for you. But you're grumpy, you mess up. They are patient, forgiving, and understanding. In a way, they look like a person who would lay their lifetime for you, who's willing to say, I'm here to serve and not to be served. See, the Spirit empowers us to grow in Christ likeness. That is something we can never do in our own strength, under the law. And that is something that looks completely different from a life that indulges the fleshly desires of the human heart. Here's the other thing about fruit. I can't plant a pineapple tree and tomorrow I have pineapples. It's gradual. And that is what happens with the Spirit. It's a lifelong experience we have. We don't show those fruits overnight. We're not expected to be like, oh, here are all the fruits ripe and ready. It's about progress. So be thinking, what are the fruits that are growing in your life? Don't compare yourself to others, but to see where were you before, where are you now? And as you walk in step with the Spirit, see how the Spirit grows those fruits in your life. And just picture and imagine living with others who exhibit that type of fruit and share those with you. Imagine your family, your flatmates who are like this. What a difference that would make. Imagine if your colleagues bore fruit like this. What a difference that, that would make. Just to be clear, my colleagues, they're, they're awesome, they're great on the church staff team. <laughs> they bear a lot of these fruits already. Now, we don't have time to go to the details of the fruits of the Spirit. Um, we're running out of time. How is it possible to walk with the Spirit? Final thing, just look at verses 24 to 25. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. How do we know? How is it possible to walk with the Spirit? I want to end with this. First thing, you need to remember that you belong to Christ. Paul's been trying to show this throughout this book. We are no longer slaves, but through Christ's sacrifice for us, he has called us co heirs with, with Christ, God's children. We are his, we live for him, we live with him. We belong to Jesus. That is how you walk with the Spirit. How else? You've been crucified, the flesh with its passions and desires. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. This life I now live in the body, literally flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. By faith, our old self, our old flesh, has been crucified with Christ. Victory is won And we need to remember that we have the Spirit. Jesus promises the Spirit to us. We're no longer alone. We belong to Christ. We've been crucified with Christ. We have His Spirit. That is how we know we have the Spirit. That is how it's possible to have the Spirit. That's how we know how to walk with the Spirit. So as we keep in step with the Spirit, let's be a church who humbly loves one another. Let's be a church who fights the desires of our flesh. And let's be a people who bear the fruits of the Spirit. To God's glory. Amen. Let me lead us in a, in a prayer. Father, we praise you and thank you for the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. And we thank you that we are not alone, that you have given us your spirit to walk with us. Father, pray in our freedom we would not gratify the desires of our flesh and follow our own heart's desires, but that we would walk in step with the Spirit. And through that, Father, pray that we would remember we belong to Christ, that our flesh is crucified with him, and the Spirit lives in us, so that we can bear fruits of your glory, that we can fight the desires of the flesh, and that we can be a church who humbly loves to serve one another. We pray this for your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I thought a great hymn um, to sing would be, Come Thou Fount. God has given us so many blessings to keep us walking by the Spirit. And that final verse, prone to wonder, Lord, I fear it, prone to leave the the Lord I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above, sealed by the Holy Spirit. Um, Let's stand together and sing, if you're able to, sing this song.